Welcome to Success at Scale, the podcast that covers business stories from experienced entrepreneurs, business leaders, and startup founders on how to translate business ideas into business results. I'm your host, Greg Stein, and today we're going to talk to one of my favorite guys, Rick Williams, uh, founder and managing director of Williams Advisory Partners. He is the author of Create Your Future for Your Company and for Yourself. Uh, he's just an awesome guy. We're going to have some fun today. So, Rick, welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Tell us about you. Oh, my gosh, Greg. I'm going to be in big trouble trying to keep up with you on this. Uh, okay, so I am, as I say, Rick Williams. I'm headquartered here in the Boston area. Um, I Most of the work I actually do these days is helping companies be more successful, serving in their board of directors, and in some cases, helping them with some, we'll call it quasi-consulting advisory work. Uh, I am a big-time sailor, which some might say, why is that relevant to any of this? But it's been a big training ground for me and my leadership skills and understanding of how people actually work with each other. And Greg, I know, as you said, I'm going to take advantage of this great opportunity of giving me and plug my new book, Create the Future. So it's Create the Future for Your Company Yourself about how to be more creative about where you take your company. Oh, Rick, I mean, you, there's so much we have to talk about today. This is going to be so much fun. So oh all right. God, keep us on public public territory here. I, not, <laughs> <it's> a... <laughs> we'll try. We'll try. All right. It's not going to be right. easy. But uh, in all seriousness, so you've been I mean, when I when I first met you, you were really talking about boards and, and your yes. involvement and leadership of boards. And I'd love to just hear your perspective on what it takes to be a leader on a board and what it means and all of that. And then I'd love to find a way to tie that back to sailing because that, that just sounds like a cool connection there. Well, let, we'll come back to sailing, but I will say uh, it's been a lifelong joy of mine and also a terrific experience for learning how to actually lead high purpose, high discipline team. But we'll come back to that. All right. So um, I um, hosted and moderated a program last week, maybe it was the week before last, for the New Venture Summit on why young companies should even have a board of directors, much less uh, companies that are trying to grow to scale. Um, and I, so let me give you kind of my 30 second pitch for why a board of directors is actually a value accelerator for companies of any size. Uh, fundamentally, uh, the CEO and maybe a founder or maybe a hired CEO, it doesn't really make any difference, the CEO, the senior leadership team is fundamentally responsible for running the company. They're responsible for creating the vision, day-to-day -day operations. But those folks, men, women, uh, whatever, wherever they've ever done this before, even if they're deeply experienced in doing this, they, they need um, people standing behind them or standing with them, not really behind them, but standing with them who can help set expectations for the company, um, you know, um, in, a, in some cases be a, effectively a coach and advisor to them. The board of directors also is responsible for the shareholders, responsible as a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders of the company. 
And fundamentally, that's what the board is supposed to be doing. In other words, making sure that the shareholders are getting the right information, all that sort of stuff. The, if it's a public company, that any public reports are done right, the board is responsible for all that. But when you come back to the operations of the company, we all, every single one of us, if we're in that CEO or president leadership position, we are going to do better if we have people who are saying, okay, um, Greg, what, what is your plan for this company over the next year, two years, three years? You articulate it. What are you actually going to try to do? What's the vision for this company? And if you're, if you're executing on that plan, what are the expectations we should have about your performance? Six months, 12 months, 18 months? And somebody that's actually going to say, well, okay, did you actually do that or not? I'll also say one other thing, and that is that the leadership role is a really tough job. And often the people in these positions, you know, they really don't have somebody who they can talk to on a confidential, open basis. It's a lonely job in many ways. And having a board that you can be completely open and transparent with that says, look, I'm not really sure exactly how to approach this. I'm trying to decide between this and that. What do you think? and get that kind of help and guidance. In the end, the leader has to make the decision and the leader will be responsible for the consequences of those decisions. But having a board of directors, a board of advisors, uh, we can talk about what a board of advisors and a board of directors is different, but having that available and engaged with you as a leader will make you more successful as the leader and also will make your company more successful. Anyway, let that's me you, let that's me ask the, you this though, right? There's a lot of a lot of so what you're saying sounds like it is the way it should be, right? But far too often it's not that way. Right. I think. I why 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 do you think that is? Well, you're right. It it, it isn't for for many different reasons. So in in some respects, uh, a lot of people. In fact, I would say even most small and mid-sized companies don't really have engaged boards. Yeah. The owner of, in many cases, the owner may control the company and they say, you know, if I have to deal with a board, they're not going to know as much as I do about this company. What, how are they going to help me? It's a pain in the butt. If I have to come and explain what I'm doing to this board and, you know, what are they, what are they really going to do that's any value to me? Why don't I get my buddy who's who i go and play golf with on saturday come he'll be on my board now maybe i'll get the attorney that gives me and maybe the banker that gives me some advice every now and then that'll, that'll be my board that's really all i need an awful lot of people are like that there you get um company particularly company founders but also others who say you know i i i really I, I just don't want to be bothered with it. I know much more about what's going on here than anybody else is going to know. And I don't want to be bothered with dealing with some people who are just going to be nitpicking at me and ask me questions that they don't really know enough to even ask the right questions. It's an awful lot of that attitude. And I will say that if you get uh, get a, a put a board together that isn't the right board, it can be a nuisance and more of a bother than it's worth. So Part of it is you have to put some time into, okay, what are you really trying to get out of this board? And, you know, who, who are the best people to be on it? And 
people, you know, sometimes people aren't willing to make that investment in getting the right people involved. Yeah. Well, I guess it's like anything else in business, right? You got to have the right people in the room and you've got to have the right skill set and you have to have the right level of, I think there's a big word in, in boards my, myself, which I think you alluded to earlier, which is like trust, right? Like you, right. you know, you have to have that kind of trust. Oh, I'm going to come to this person to get, you know, advice and I'm going to trust that I'm going to get, you know, the right feedback and the right direction. And, you know, a lot of times though, I don't, I, I don't know. It seems like that doesn't exist um, in boards. You know, there's far too often in the small to mid-sized companies, there's like this dysfunctional team in there right so right. i guess you know someone like you 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 overcome that somehow what you know what advice would you give to a board that might be dysfunctional right now well you're right trust uh trust is a, a essential so there has to be it has to be a two-way street the board has to trust that they're getting the real story from the leadership of the company and the leadership of the company has to trust that they're getting the best advice that they can get from the board members. Um, I, I, uh, I, and frankly, the trust is something you have to earn. So you have to take the risk. If I'm the CEO, I have to take the risk of saying, look, look, my board, uh, five people, if that's what it is, or seven people or three people, <clears throat> I, I'm going to, I'm going to open the kimono in a way here and say, here's some issues that we're going to be dealing with. They're going to be hard for us. Uh, we may have to, we have a, I, I'm just making this up as an example. We have a vice president of um, engineering that's just not performing. And that person, you know, may, you know, for whatever reason is not performing. And they've been really essential in getting this company to where it is. What can I, what should I do about that? I, do I try to keep them involved? Do I, you know, let them go? Do I, how am I going to find somebody else? You, you have to build, you have to take the risk of opening yourself to the board. And um, the board in the, in the same respects has to take a little bit of personal risk. So often the difficulty with, with being a board member and the difficulty with the functioning of a board is that the board doesn't uh, work together every day. It's people that really don't know each other very well. I mean, they know except somewhat, but they come together hopefully more than once a quarter, but let's say even once a month. Um, and they have a very limited time in which they've got to make really important decisions. And so often the dynamics of getting that group to actually collaborate with each other is difficult. Um, if you are do if if you're if you put a good board together, they're not all going to be people who are all members of the same country club. In fact, you don't want that. You want people who are different from each other. You want people who have different experiences, and so it's hard to get that that group of people all very talented, energetic, ver verbally communicative people to say, "Okay, here's a problem. What do, what do you guys think we should do about this?" So that's that's the that's the dynamic on the board side. So, okay, I the CEO open myself to this group of five people that are all quite different from each other and different from me, and say what should I do? And they're going to look at this from different perspectives. So the board members, you know, in some respects they're professional peers. I would say in a big in a big scope of things, 
they don't want to look, you know, uninformed or foolish to their peers, other board members. So how do they have enough trust with each other to say, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm say I'm I'm not really sure exactly what to do about this, but here's what I happened, here's what I experienced when I tried this in another in another company and share their experiences with it. So th that is the trust building that's going on on both sides of the table that has to happen. And over time, over time, if you're if you're persistent at it, keep trying and you accept, say, okay, I hear you. Um, I've learned something from listening to you talk about it. If I don't exactly take your, your advice, I've learned something and I respect what you said. That's how you build trust with each other. So, all right, let's, let's change gears a little bit. So you've got this, this new book coming out, right? You were, you, you know, you are, you're, you're a board guy, right? Like, you know <clears throat> what it takes to run a successful business. How do you go from there to saying, Hey, I'm going to write a book. What's, what's it like writing a book and what's the book all about? Well, Greg, you know, that, <clears throat> that I've been for a, a several years, number of years writing a I don't know, twice a month, once a month, something like that, newsletter on sort of how to be more successful running your, I want to say company, it could be any organization, nonprofit, you know, division of a larger company, even a government agency. And several years ago, this actually pre-COVID, people were saying, well, Rick, why don't you take the articles you've already written? A lot, many of these have been published nationally, internationally you know, sort of paste them all together and you'll have a book. You know, everybody says you ought to have a book. Well, anyway, I thought about it. And yeah, maybe someday I'll do that. But I thought, about what do I really have to say that would be actually helpful to people who are the leaders, particularly of medium sized and smaller companies? And I went back to my experience as a managed consultant with a large international consulting firm, Arthur D. Little. And I, I consulted with, usually firms like this are work, mostly working with large companies and uh, large in the US, outside the US. And I said, you know, I, I really think that the, that the approach, the tools, the uh, way of thinking about how you do this, that um, consulting firms and people like myself were bringing to larger companies are also uh, valuable to medium, medium size and smaller company leadership. Um, so what, I, what I, I decided I would do is write a book kind of outlining in the step-by-step -step process how you go from identifying what the threat or opportunity that's facing you all the way through the process of describe, deciding for yourself what success would look like. What are the options you have for responding to that challenge? What are the barriers to execution? And then how do you choose which way you actually want to go? Um, and so that's that's what the book is about. It's it's the process, team team exercises that that you and your leadership team, in principle, you can do it by yourself, but you and leadership team can go through to address major challenges for you. As we're speaking, it's not published yet, but I'm hoping it will be published shortly. And uh, and then it will be, a, I hope it'll be a valuable guide to people like yourself and the leaders of other, other companies that are striving to grow, or even if you're already successful and you're, you're 
you know, declining? How do you reverse that? It's not, it's not just growth. It's whatever the challenge is uh, it, that that you as an organization are facing. And how do you how do you actually address that step by step, exercise by exercise, and uh, bring you to the end of choosing the future for your company and to some extent for yourself? I love it, Rick. I, I can't wait to check out the book. I, I, I really can't. And I'm curious, um, you know, we, we talked about sailing earlier. Um, I, we said we come back to it. Let's do it. So uh, talk about, you know, charting the future as it pertains to sailing. Well, um, OK, so there's sort of two different stories I, I will relate to this. One is that I've been a sailor um, based in Marblehead, Massachusetts. I don't know, 25 years, a long time, maybe longer than any of us want to really admit. And uh, so the, the last number of years, the boat, uh, my, my sailboat, which is called Chariot, C-H-A-R-I-A-D, Chariot has its own website, actually, you can go to it. Oh, wow. Uh, so we have been very successful year after year. We've won virtually every regional regatta and championship we don't run every one of them every year, but we've all we've won consistently many of them over the years. So the, the deal is that um, if you're doing a sailboat race, uh, you have to before the race start, you have to think about what's the strategy? How are we going to compete against these boats from the beginning to the end of the race? We're competing against the winds, the currents, the other boats. And then once you get underway, you're dealing with the tactics. Okay, how do we compete against this boat right next to us? What do we do? And so you're you're both having to have a strategy at the beginning, and you deal with the tactics during the race. How do what do we do right now against this boat? We're coming up with a windward mark and a change sails, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and so it's it forces you to in effect have a a, a business plan, preparing to start the race a strategy for, for sailing the race against your competitors and against the wind, and then the tactics all the way through the race to be competitive. So I, and we, we are typically will have eight or 10 people on the boat. This is not a smaller boat. So you're having to get 10 volunteers, including myself, to show up on a Saturday or Sunday morning and work together as a team. These are not people who getting paid to work we have to work collaborative as a team we have to practice we have to say okay who's best at doing this job and that job and i i have it's been so helpful to me over the years to you know in my mind and I, i'm like many people i say you know i really know how to do that i could just go and pull that line set that shoot whatever it is myself i can't do that as the leader i have to work with the team that's on the boat help them collaborate as a team. And these boats are big enough, so you can't even talk from one end of the boat to the other. If I could be yelling, go do something, people on the other end of the boat can't even hear what I'm saying. So you have to have the team that really knows how to collaborate and work together as a team. Incredibly valuable to me as lessons to me that I've learned over the years as the leader of that kind of a highly competitive and successful team. And I talk about that a little bit in this book is the lessons learned that I've learned um, as the, as as a leader. In many, in many respects, it's like being like a uh, platoon leader or a captain in the in the army of how do you get people not and you don't get people. How do you earn the respect 
and set the direction for your working unit to actually succeed in what it's trying to do. That's sailing story number one. Sailing story number two is we've obviously had COVID over the last two years. And like everything else, um, the sailing sailboat racing was shut down. And people, yeah, you know, terrible. none of us yeah. really knew what in the heck we were supposed to be doing. Right. And what we eventually, so this is uh, 2000 and 2020, I'll get my years right here. So this is the first year of COVID lockdowns. A bunch of us got together and said, remember, we're all, we're all kind of afraid. We're all not sure what we should or shouldn't be doing. We're, we're, we're afraid of each other as people. We're being told we can't go and go to restaurants and we can't do this and can't do that. Well, a bunch of us said, you know, we're, we're also told that being outdoors is where you want to be. Getting exercise is where you want to be. So we said um, on among our team, let's just get on the boat and go sailing. Got the boat in the water and we went sailing. And a bunch of other boats said similar things. They said, let's just get out and we'll go sailing. And then, um, and all the yacht clubs and the sponsors of the racing had said, we're not going to do this. We can't, you know, we can't be doing anything official. So skippers then said, well, why don't we just say ourselves, we'll get, you know, 10 or 15 boats together and we'll say, we're going to go do our own race. Very informal. Uh, and we did that. And that was, that was 2020. And what it did that for that year, and this is the sort of beginning of the summer through the fall, is it gave a whole bunch of people purpose for themselves, it gave us a purpose that we were for how we were spending our time. It gave us a connection with our teammates that we wouldn't have had if we had just stayed home and said, well, gee, I, I can't do anything. I'm just going to stay, stay at home or just go for a walk on the beach by myself. We got and these are people that did it because they wanted to do it personally. and They wanted to be part of a team that was trying to do something meaningful and it gave us definition in our own lives that's was what was so meaningful for it and then this last year 2021 eventually the formal racing started again and again there were some people who just didn't feel comfortable going out but most people did and we started racing we had actual formal races and over the course of the season we won the mass bay championship uh, in our in our racing class, and it was an enormous accomplishment for for the Chariot team. Wow! I mean, it, you know what's so like analogous to all of this, right? Is you know, sailing is your passion. My passion is music and drums and all of this. Right. right? But either way, no matter how you look at it, both of us are looking through the lens of our passions in the world of business. Right. right. And and right. it's really, you know, I think that's why it's so important, no matter what your passion is, no matter what your interest is, 
to continue to pursue those, to continue to make sure that those thrive because it only gives you more perspective and, you know, bringing people together in a team, you know, setting, you know, uh, the way you're thinking about leadership. That's why I specifically asked you about uh, sailing and, and how it's all related and writing books and boards. And because to me, you know, as I talk to you, you know, many times we've talked before, it, it just strikes me as like, you know, while we're very different and, you know, we have different paths passions like we're kind of looking at things through similar lens in, in a weird way right exactly right yeah no i think um if you are and maybe this is just how you and i think about it but the people who live very narrow lives live very narrow lives and they don't in my mind they're not experiencing the richness that they could but also um if you and i don't what i for myself uh, I, I'm learning lessons from sailing that are directly applicable to lots of other things I do in my life. And not because sailing, therefore, that's unique about learning lessons. It's not that at all. It's if I was had to learn how to become very disciplined and good as a piano player, it would be very similar. I, I would be learning myself how to, how to, what do I have to do to be a, really good at something for myself? And I suspect that's what you get out of your music, that learning something, how to do something really well, translates into other parts of your life. It does. You know, it's so interesting. There's a real discipline that's associated with becoming, you know, any level of mastery of, of anything, right? You know, if you're going to get to a certain level of proficiency, you have to really put in that practice and all of that right. stuff. However, the, for me, the interesting thing is when I go to sit down behind a set of drums, so I see the world through that lens, right? So when I sit down, I imagine, you know, that I'm on stage, right? I've got to have the right rhythm. I've got to have the right basis for everybody. It's got to feel good. I got to have a good feel. Then I got to look around and I got to understand the harmony and the melody and how it all intersects so that the entire, you know, group can sound good. But guess what? The most important person is out out there that's the audience and you right. know playing to the audience and not playing for yourself which many musicians do right and then you take that into the world of business now think about it it's totally analogous right <laughs> so right. i'm sitting there if i don't have the right rhythm and the right cadence of my meetings of my day of whatever it falls apart right i don't get enough rest i come in late whatever it is it, it falls apart if you don't have the right synergy between the people in the group in that meeting on that board it doesn't work you know if we're playing for ourselves meaning you know oh here we are thinking we're the best and like the audience meaning the customer doesn't like what we're selling or the message or the brand or whatever it doesn't work so this is you know to me it's all kind of the same thing you know and uh i think you know for for people to really be great at what they do whatever it is they've got to you know look around you know the world right a little bit too it, it can't just right. be about that you know transactional thinking alone. I mean, that's right. important. Don't get me wrong, but it's got to be a, a holistic person. That's what I've loved about the conversations I've had with you. You, you think about things in a, in a 360 degree way, which is refreshing, especially as a well, board member. I, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily have any particular uniqueness in any of this, but 
It's certainly true that what you're saying about the audience absolutely applies to business because, you know, I that the question you in dealing with younger companies who say, oh, wow, I have some really great, you know, technology or little widget or whatever. And I say, OK, I mean, it's not I say, but what they need to ask themselves, is there an audience? Is there an audience that's going to applaud? Is there an audience that says, OK, I really like that enough that I'm going to stop doing this and buying that and I'm going to buy what you have. I'm going to stop asking this person to help me and and, and change to what asking you to help me. That's that audience is your customer. And so you have to find out, OK, Mr. Entrepreneur, who says you want to found a company or grow your company, uh, is there is there a paying customer for your product as you imagine it? And uh, is there a big enough one so that if I, as an investor, who often says how this gets asked, um, that I'm going to put money in and take the chance that I can make some money out of this? Because in the truth, the investor, the investor wants he he cheers for you, but what he really wants is he wants he or she. What they really want to do is they want to make some money on there and that's worth the risk they're taking. on investment. That's it. And yeah, exactly. Is, it, is there it. an audience there right. for you're playing your drums or right. my next widget or whatever it is? Right, right. No, exactly right. And it's so interesting too. You know, let's talk about investors for a minute, right? Because, you know, many of the people listening to this, right, are wondering, they might be a, a young aspiring, they don't have to be young, they could be old, it doesn't matter, but they're aspiring to be that entrepreneur that has that next big thing, right? Right. And as they're sitting there listening to this, you know, um, you know, and boards and all that, that sounds great. But one of the big questions that most people are asking is, hey, how do I find investors? You know, how do I connect with investors? Rick, you know, as, as someone who has played in this world for a long time, like what kind of recommendations do you have for someone that might be listening, that might be looking for investors or networking with investors or even just, you know, engaging with investors? Okay. I, I don't want to make this trite, but I'm going to make a trite statement. And that Please. is money is almost never the problem. The problem is whether you have a good idea and a good product and a good story. Now, it's true that we go through us, you know, go through cycles and sometimes sometimes there's money running gushing all over the place and other times there's no money because everybody's afraid and, you know, hiding their cash under their mattress. I mean, yes, that is absolutely true. But um, the it, it's, you know, it's like finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You just have to go and talk to a lot of people and find the one that is a match for you. And I will also say, I, I'm not answering your question, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually saying what's even more important than answering your question. And then that is that invest when you're when you are when you're taking money from an investor, it's not just the money. You you are you are in effect getting married to that person who's your or institution as your investor. You're forming a long-term relationship. So you better be damn sure that you want to be married to that investor, that particular investor. That, that relationship in many respects is more important than the money for a whole lot of reasons we could come back to. So what I'm saying is it's really not the money that's hard to find. It's the good idea 
compelling idea, the great opportunity that you are finding that opportunity you can present that's actually more difficult to find than the money is. Assuming for a good second point. that really you that do have a really compelling idea, then you've got to put a compelling story together. What's the problem you're solving? What is your solution to the problem? What evidence is there that <clears throat> that you can that the solution you have is something you can actually make a profit out of providing a, in a competitive environment? And uh, anyway, you got to put all of that together. And then once you've done that, then ask yourself, okay, what's what is my? I'm giving you maybe a longer answer you really want here, but what what is what is my plan for the company. So if you're if you're forming a company that is, you know, you're you're planning to own it for the long term, essentially a family company in some respects, you know, no investor is going to put money into that. I mean, you have to get your because the, the investor only gets their money out if you're going to sell the company or go public or something like that. So you have to match what your financial plans are with the goals of investors. The investor says, okay, I'll put my money up for, you know, two, three, maybe even five, seven years, maybe even 10 years in some case, but I'm only gonna do that if this is gonna be wildly successful. And there's a way that at the end of all this, I can get, I can make a, a substantial profit. And in other cases, it may be that, you know, you really are looking for, um, you know, try to find all the money you can from grants or other local funding, get funding from your suppliers, the delayed, delayed uh, payments on whatever you're buying from them, get advanced payments from your customers. There are all sorts of ways you can get money that are not just asking somebody to write you a check. But yes, that is part of it. But then the big deal is, you know, okay, we got money. You just got to have to talk to a lot of people, let people know really what your in what your what your story is, what you're trying to do, what your vision for the company is, what kind of investors you're looking for, and then just talk to every single person you possibly can. There, there really isn't any simple way of doing it. It just let shoe shoe leather work if that's the right phrase that's going out phrase. and talking yeah. to people like greg you've done it so i know you know what i'm talking about yeah i mean yeah i think you're right though rick i mean you know uh i was working with a client just recently we were talking and we were like okay you know we're making the deck you know and we've got the deck and it was like you know when we're tweaking every last little word but you know what after a point it was like Let's get out there and talk because you know what the reality is, whatever we're thinking in our little bubble and the word and versus the or whatever it is, is not going to make a difference at all. What's going to make a difference is the storyline, is the big idea, is the product, is the is the right. fit, is the, you know, TAM, all those things. Right. So uh, getting out there, I think you're right, is getting out there and actually talking to people um, and not being a robot. Right. Uh, you know, actually building relationships with people I, I think that's key i think you're right rick right you know? right um so okay so now let's let's change the topic once again how uh -oh. do you how do you stay productive how do you you know structure your time and and just stay productive as a as a professional what i found was that um i actually had to change a lot of things in my life to get how i was living my my 
my schedule, et cetera, in order to get my book written. And in, in many respects, it's similar to what somebody who's starting a company would probably have to do. I, I probably would have to do. So I found that I was had to be very careful about what my sleep schedule was because I got more I got more done between, say, 7 or 7.30 in the morning and noon or 1 o'clock. And then after that, it was sort of irrelevant what happened the rest of the day. So I, it's not that I was doing this. Not I wasn't writing my book every day. I was, that's not true. But what I found was that I had to be extremely careful about time commitments in that 7.30 to noon or 1 o'clock time frame. So I put all my meetings off to the afternoon, everyone I could do, all my phone calls, I could put off the afternoon, I put them all off in the afternoon to make sure I had time in that morning because that's the productive time of the day for me. I made sure whenever I could, I was going to get in bed at the same time every night. That sounds trivial, like you're a kid, like you're a three-year-old kid. But the truth is, if you're trying to get something important done, you have to think about your life like that. I, I uh, tried to be careful about what I was eating. I mean, you're asking about how I get my work done, but this is that was part of it is managing my 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 sleep, my what I was eating, drinking, you know, uh, all of that sort of stuff to make sure that my most productive hours were available to do the book and other things that I was doing. And I was on um, a couple of boards during all of this, and so obviously I was doing work for that and also writing some other articles and. You know that sort of thing. So, i i i had uh, i had the i had the change significantly change how I was managing my own time and my own physical body as a person to maximize my effort. Um, and you know, and we also then shut down with all personal meetings. So, okay, well, how do we communicate with each other? I communicated through my writing. Um, you know, Zoom, I don't know if I ever even heard of Zoom before COVID. And um, I have been, as you probably know, I, your listeners may not know, but I was president of the Harvard Business School Alumni Association. So we do, before COVID, we were doing like 30 programs a year, all in person. So fortunately, I'm no longer president because in many ways, a thankless, an important but thankless job. As a lot any, of work, I'm sure. Any president, any president of a volunteer organization would say. But what I found I got my kicks out of was uh, and do is organizing some larger programs. And we're all doing it virtual. So I, uh, for HBSAB and for NEAN and some of the other organizations, will I, I, I get a whole lot of kicks out of organizing some major, major speakers major programs that we then can make available to a, a much larger national, in some cases, international audience through Zoom, we never were doing before COVID. So I had Jeremy Siegel, who's on the faculty at Wharton in Philadelphia, uh, on a program about his outlook for the stock market. This is about a year ago. And we had 700 people on that Zoom call. And it was, it was fascinating. He was a terrific panel and a person speaker he's on you know he's on television all the time and uh it gave him exposure to an audience that he otherwise would not have had um i'm putting together a program right now on cryptocurrency and you know how what the heck is is that anyway and why is it important and where's the future of it going 
And so at some point in the next three months, we'll, we'll be doing a program on that, you know, similar to what you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just been a kick for me to have this channel of communication, which we never had before. And indeed, it's not getting together in person, you're not shaking hands and giving your old friends hugs and all that sort of stuff. But it, it is a way of making connections that, you know, we just were not making before. And, you know, that's the world we live in today. It's so true, Rick. It's so true. So, all right. I have one, one more question for you, which is <laughs> if, if you were uh, talking to, you know, any of our listeners right now and, and somebody's sitting out there, cause look, it hasn't been an easy time, right? We talk about the whole COVID time. It has not been an easy time. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that are, are struggling and figuring out what to do. What, what one piece of advice would you give to anybody that's listening right now that's either struggling or trying to, you know, get up off the mat or reinvent themselves, whatever it might be? Is there is there one piece of advice you might uh, you might give them today? Well, I, I think back to the story I told you about our sailing last year. Um, that's ex that is exactly what all of us were facing. It's like what am I going to do with my own life at this point? And, you know, sailing wasn't all of our lives. I mean, this is something you're doing, you know, on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, once or twice a month over the course of the summer. But it was, it was saying, it was saying, I, I, there is something I could do. I can, I can get out of my house or my house apartment. I can get on a sailboat with other people that I really love and respect and want to be with and just go do something that's that's fun it's a little bit it's fun important it's not important in the big world but it's it's giving me something to do that that's now i'm not everybody has the opportunity to go sailing but i would say you know what we've got to do is just walk out the door just get up off the couch or get up away from your goddamn computer and screen and just walk out the door I, I ride a bike. So yesterday I did a like an hour and a quarter bike ride. I'm going to try to do one at the end of the day today. For me, that's what I do. I walk out the door and I get on my bike and I just go for a bike ride. Now you say, well, what is that going to do? That's not getting me a paycheck. No, but it's going to get your mind in the frame that in fact, you have some control over your life. And, and then you come back and you say, well, okay, I'm not on my bike. But what am I going to do? I, I I do have some control. Let me go do something. I'm going to call up that guy Rick Williams or Greg and and you know get engaged or my friend that we've been bouncing ideas off. We're just gonna we're gonna make something happen. Get up, walk out the door, and just get started and do anything. Do something other than just sit around and say it's a really tough time for all of us. It is. But but we, we have uh, yeah. control. We, I'm going to go back to my book. We control the future by the decisions we make today. There and it is. The decision I would ask, suggest that you make is stand up, walk out the door, do something, and then say, what, what am I going to do to create the tomorrow that I want, the next week that I want, the next year that I want? That's how you'll create the future for yourself. 
Wow, that is super powerful, Rick. So where can people find this book? Where can they find you online? You know, where can they learn more about you? Give us a shameless plug. Let's go. If you go to my website, I have a website. The website is williamsadvisorypartners.com. So my website, it's my board of directors and advisory website, williamsadvisorypartners.com. The book actually has its own website, Create the Future dot solutions create the future dot solutions and my sailboat website is chariot it's c-h-a-r-i-a-d chariot.com and i look forward to hearing from anybody who wants to get engaged with me i love it rick I got to tell you, man, it's always a pleasure hanging with you. But uh, today was especially interesting. I hope it's uh, super helpful to our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us, Rick. Uh, for anybody that's listening, um, this is this is Success at Scale with Triple G Ventures. We love having you guys and uh, hope to keep bringing you some great stuff. For anybody that's listening, please like, share, subscribe, all that social media stuff that, you know, it's, it's cool. I'm trying to be hip, but, you know, it doesn't really work. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening. And uh, until next time, we'll see you real soon. Stay safe and peace.